I'm Brooke Gurley, and you are listening to Untold Stories, the cases that shape the civil rights movement, presented by Long Crime. This podcast is the audio adaptation of my video series titled The Untold Stories of the Civil Rights Movement. And now, on to this week's episode. What's up, everyone? It's me, Brooke. Welcome back to the Untold series. Whether you're watching YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or the podcast, I'm so glad you've tuned in today. So I'm interrupting the normally scheduled Untold series because I was going to do Terry versus Ohio, which deals with stop and frisk, very important issue. But I have to break in to address a story that I saw in the news this week. There was a black nurse in Georgia who filed a whistleblower suit alleging that um, detainees in ICE facilities were being forced into sterilization without their knowledge and definitely without their consent. So when I saw this news story, I immediately thought about the long history of forced sterilization in this country, which has its roots in the eugenics movement. And of course, it just overlaps with a lot of things, but especially the civil rights movement. So I said I had to, I have to look at this issue and look at it in the context of civil rights. This episode, I'm going to briefly look at eugenics, very briefly, it's a long history. And then I'm going to look at two cases. There's actually going to be two cases this episode that deal with this issue of forced sterilization. One that's in 1920s and the other one that's in the 1970s that kind of counters what was done there. So let's get into this week's episode. So to begin again, I'm doing like this very brief, very, 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 very brief history on eugenics. So in order to understand the history of sterilization, we have to first go back to the eugenics movement. And the eugenics movement had its start in the 19th century um, by with a gentleman named Francis Galton. Francis Galton is actually the cousin of Charles Darwin as in the theory of evolution and the survival of the fittest. So Galton believed that you can sort of breed this superior race by sort of telling, you know, stopping certain people from breeding and then having superior, superior people or talented people breeding. It's kind of like survival of the fittest, but instead of waiting for natural selection to take over, we're going to tinker with the genes and do it ourselves. And so this idea really took um, flight in America with the American eugenics, eugenics movement. You had a lot of supporters from the Rockefeller Institute, Carnegie Institute, just big, rich, philanthropic people who were giving money to this idea of breeding the superior race. You have scientists creating categories of people from idiot to moron to imbecile. These were scientific terms. Now we use it as insults, but back then they were used as actually scientific classifications of people who were taking these tests. This is where you get the rise in these IQ or intelligence tests. And um, the idea behind it being that if we can just weed out the low level, the low breed, the non-talented people, we can create the superior race. Of course, this was all ultimately tied into really whether or not you were poor or not, because the traits that were seen as superior and those that you wanted to promote were those that the wealthy class had and those that you didn't want to promote were those of the poor class people. So this idea was really promoted by a gentleman by the name of Charles Davenport. He created what was called the Eugenics Records Office, which I'll leave a link to so you can still go there and click on it. And it was supported by the Carnegie Institute. And he's collecting records of different people, their family histories to see, well, if your mama was a drunk and your grandma was a drunk, then you probably gonna be a drunk because it's in your genes. The superintendent of the Eugenics Records Office was a gentleman named Harry Laughlin. And Harry Laughlin was, again, you know, a proponent of eugenics. He also helped pave the way for these restrictive immigration laws. But one thing that he did is that he believed in sterilization and he wanted to create model laws that other states could adopt. These laws were also later used by the Nazis in Germany to 
um, sterilize countless people and do horrendous things. And they actually brought Laughlin over and said, mm, tell us what you're doing. So other states were adopting different sterilization laws, but not really enforcing it too strongly. But the state of Virginia ended up adopting these part of this model law that Laughlin created. And that gets us to the case, the first case for this episode, which is Buck versus Bell. So let's get into the facts of this particular case. Okay, so in Virginia, you had what was called the Virginia Colony for the Epileptics and Feeble-Minded. And by the way, Feeble-Minded was just a broad category of differently able people. Um, I think what you would now call neurodivergent or developmentally delayed uh, folks and just people who had different ailments. Um, or sometimes people who were unwed mothers or you know, seen as deviants. So at the Virginia Colony, you had the superintendent there. His name was Albert Pretty. And he was going around sterilizing people. He got sued and he's like, you know what? I don't want to get sued again. This is ridiculous. Let's enact a law that is airtight and then let's do a test case. Take it all the way up to the Supreme Court if we can to have the Supreme Court say this law is constitutional. So what does he do? He finds a, a test plaintiff and that test plaintiff is none other than a 17 year old female, white female named Carrie Buck. Now, Carrie Buck came to the Virginia Colony because she was in foster care with the Dobbs family. And it was a terrible situation, just a very rough life. And the foster mother's nephew, according to Buck, took advantage of her. And, you know, he forced himself upon her, said he was going to marry her. But then once he did what he did, he left her. She was pregnant. It was a scandal. So in order to cover for all of that, they said that she was, you know, this immoral, um, young teenager and they gave her over to the Virginia colony where she was and oddly enough her mother was also already there Carrie's mother was also already in the Virginia colony because they said that she was a prostitute and an immoral woman so when pretty saw this um, he said this is the perfect case I'm gonna use her I'm gonna try to get her to be sterilized so what he did was he ended up determining that Carrie would be sterilized and then having her challenge this by hiring his friend and fellow eugenicist Irving Whitehead to represent her as she challenges this law. Um, but it was really a sham. It was a sham trial. Like her attorney put on no evidence. He allowed people who never interviewed her or her mother to come and testify. Laughlin even, his deposition was read into um, the trial uh, record. Uh, Carrie by this point had had her daughter, Vivian, and some nurse said, well, she something just seemed off about her. The court ends up finding in against Carrie. Surprise, surprise. And then they appealed it. You know, her attorney appealed it. But again, this is all a sham. And it eventually makes its way all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. The issue. The issue in this case is whether or not these forced sterilization or the forced sterilization laws violated Carrie's um, equal protection and due process rights under the 14th Amendment. The holding. The court ruled, no, it did not, the reasoning. So this opinion was actually written by the renowned justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. And in it's, it's very short actually. Um, in it, he says a lot of things, some of them quite inflammatory, but the court said, okay, first of all, there was obviously due process. She had a trial, even though we know it was a sham. And so then the next question is what it was later determined to be or what is classified as a substantive due process run which is basically, can the, can the state even do this? Can it sterilize her? And they use the logic of vaccination laws and say the same logic for why we vaccinate people to protect and for the greater good is the same reason why you can um, enforce sterilization. 
But what was particularly inflammatory is the language that Justice Holmes used, and I just have to straight up read this. It is far better for all the world if, instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. That's what the court said. And the court has never overruled that case or the language in that case, sadly. So what happened? Carrie ended up being sterilized and never being able to have kids again. But oddly enough, not oddly enough, but surprise, surprise, Carrie actually was a decent student. Her daughter that she had, Vivian, was an honor roll student until she passed. Unfortunately, she passed at a young age of eight due to complications from measles. And forgot to add this part, the adoptive family or the foster family that um, where she was sexually assaulted, her child was sent there to live. So this is just a tragic situation. So after this case was decided, you saw an increase of sterilization laws in the country and you saw an increase in sterilizations um, that disproportionately impacted uh, black and brown and Native American populations. And during the civil rights movement, this was kind of one way in which they were able to sort of control what was going on there. You had a rise, the height of sterilization of black women during this time. As a matter of fact, a study from the 1970s found that uh, black women were two times as likely to be sterilized than white women. Also, a study in 1973 found that 43% of sterilizations that were funded by the federal government were done on black people. So you had this eugenics wave that led to a height of sterilization, um, a forced sterilization, and it really began to decline though in the 1970s, where states were like, "What is, you know, we're disproportionately impacting people." And one case that highlighted this and really paved the way for the decline was the Ralph sisters case. So it was Ralph versus Weinberger, and it happened in Montgomery, Alabama. You had these two sisters, Minnie Lee and Mary Alice Ralph, who were African American. One was 12, one was 14. They were poor, from a poor family, poor community. They were receiving federal assistance. And um, initially they were given birth control shots that their mother didn't really know about. They were, this was all kind of experimental. Um, mom was illiterate. And so they were really running experiments. And when the federal funded money for that ran out, they said, well, let's just sterilize them. And they did a ruse and they got the girls to the hospital, told them they were getting more injections for birth control. The mother signed an X because she thought it was just for birth control shots, but she didn't realize she was agreeing to sterilize her two daughters. And um, they tried to sterilize their other sister, Katie, but she hid in the closet when the social worker came to get her. Um, sadly, the two girls at 12 and 14 were sterilized. And when their parents realized what happened, they filed suit with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this case didn't go up to the Supreme Court, but what the district court held was still very equally as important and the impact was equally as important. So what the district court found there was a few things that were important. It found that the sterilization laws were arbitrary and unreasonable. And then also found that these federally funded um, sterilizations, you had around 100,000 to 150,000 going on per year. It's important to note that of that 100,000 to 150,000 that were being sterilized, um, each year. Many were being forced to do so in order to keep their welfare benefits. So they didn't want to, but they knew that if they didn't do that, then they wouldn't uh, receive the assistance that they needed. I also forgot to note that at this time you had the Health, Education, and Welfare Department, which is now the Department of Health and Human Services, 
uh, funding these programs and the court said, hey, you can't, you can't keep funding these sterilization programs. Um, that has to stop. It, it was appealed, but by the time it got to the appellate level, the um, HEW department, or HUE department, I don't know how they called it, um, decided to change their law, agreed to redo their regulations and, and stop for sterilization. You couldn't do sterilization without having informed consent of the person who was being sterilized. So why is this case important? Are these cases important? Why is this topic important? Well, I think it's important in light of the whistleblower complaint and the allegations that are there and to show that this, to give you some history and some context, is this is nothing new, but it fits into this larger history um, of trying to create a superior race or trying to weed out those we think are undesirable and that this thinking is rooted in very racist and hateful and inhumane thought. And so we can't just sort of dismiss it, and I hope no one is, but I want to make sure that we're not dismissing the allegations and thinking it's just a fluke, but rather this is um, a continuation of what has happened. And if we don't do anything about it, it will continue to happen. It's another, again, I always, <laughs> I'm going to say this every episode, be vigilant, be vigilant. If you learn nothing else from this series is that you need to be vigilant about the injustices in society. They will never just magically disappear. People will go under the radar and continue to do what they want to do until you catch them again and say, no, 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 I see what you're doing. We can't let this happen. I also want to bring to light the fact that the Supreme Court has never actually overturned um, the idea that forced sterilization is unconstitutional. It's still constitutional. And so I think the idea that we're, because I know people always like say, we're better than this. Somet sometimes we're not. Sometimes we still have bad laws on the book, and this is one of them. Um, that language that Justice Holmes used about three generations of imbeciles are enough, that's still there. No one has, no court has overturned that. So I hope that you all will keep an eye on this whistleblower complaint. Um, I know people like to say, well, this is what happened in Nazi Germany and, you know, this types of forced sterilization. And it is. Well, you don't have to go to Nazi Germany. We can stay right here in America, what has happened, and let's keep an eye on ourselves because of what we have done and let's not repeat those things, okay? If you like this video, please be sure to hit the like button below. Please be sure to share it with everybody you want. I would greatly appreciate the shares. Um, leave a comment if you have a comment. Please be sure to um, follow me on Facebook. It's Palookies, we gonna see what it is. Right now it's Palookies World Productions. <laughs> it might be something else. Um, Follow me on Instagram, Palookies World. Follow me on Twitter, Palookies World. Follow me on my website, palookiesworld.com. Subscribe so you'll never miss any episode. Um, I'm also on Patreon if you want to support me. I would greatly appreciate any kind of support that you could give. And of course, follow the podcast, The Untold Series. Thank you so much for watching. Y'all be safe out there. Stay vigilant. That's going to be my thing. Stay vigilant. See y'all next week. God bless. To watch the video series that inspired this podcast, head over to my blog, palookiesworld.com, and make sure you subscribe. For more information on the series, like how do you spell Palookie, please check out the show notes. Finally, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode.